morning to the book of Proverbs, chapter number 6. Proverbs, chapter number 6. I learned many years ago whenever I was a Cub Scout that a part of the motto is being prepared. And I can't say I've always been prepared as I should have been in, in a lot of ways, but uh, I'd like to say hindsight's twenty twenty, and there's a lot of truth to that because, you know, we look back through history and we think about uh, the need for being prepared and we think of all of the disasters that could have been averted had proper preparation been made, and uh, in other cases, the damage could have been helped to a minimum. You think about Pearl Harbor, for example, and uh, uh, the horrible, tragic loss of life there that uh, could have at least been minimized had uh, the warnings been responded to. Hurricane Katrina back in 2005 for years and years, they knew that that was a, a tragedy just waiting to happen, and it did. And then, of course, for those of us around here, you know, we had uh, just got over Harvey, and so a lot of times, you know, things happen that we're not really prepared for, and history is full of examples. And uh, uh, the thing is, if we're wise, we will learn from the past, We'll, we will expect the unexpected and we'll prepare for the future. You know, if we just ignore what has happened, just ignore the possibility of tragedy while we can, we can expect a, a, a repeat. And too many times we wait until something bad happens. I'm not talking about necessarily on a national scale or even a community wide event, I'm talking about even in our personal lives, uh, the times that we neglect to take the proper preventive measures before tragedy strikes in our life. Let's face it, we live in difficult days and tough times, and that shouldn't surprise anybody because Paul said that perilous times shall come. That's difficult. That's dangerous. And in verse 13 of that chapter, he said, evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. So he's simply saying, we're not going to come up with a solution that's going to change the course of the world. It's going to continue to get worse and worse. And that's what we see today. And uh, a lot of folks are asleep at the wheel. They just, you know... Um, they just act like, you know, that's not any big deal, that it, it is what it is, and uh, everything's a-okay, you know, as far as they see. But, but on 9-11, we got a wake-up call here in America. And uh, after that, now we have a group of people called preppers, and boy, it is amazing the extent that some of those people will go to. I mean, they've you know, got like bomb shelters in the ground. They've got their bug out bag ready to go. They, I mean, it, it's, it's mind boggling to think about how much time and money they have invested in getting ready. And it's like anything else. You know, you can go to an extreme, and there are some, believe me, that are extremists whenever it comes to that. 
but on the other hand, you know, there are a lot of people that just, you know, wave it off with their hand like, oh, well, you know, uh, nothing like that could ever happen again. And so the question is with all of us, you know, is what what should we do? And naturally, some people are so intoxicated with the pleasure that, you know, all they think about is just fun and games and enjoying the world, entertainment and sports and everything. That, that's all life is. I mean, Bev and I was talking the other day about uh, that somebody had just signed a multi-million dollar contract and you look at the movies and some movie star gets paid, you know, $50 million for a particular movie and all of that. Whenever you see that, it's telling you what the most Americans value because the dollars for those things are coming from from Americans, you see. And it shows where our values are. And it's a shame that some people are so caught up in, in trying to gratify the flesh that they totally ignore what is really important in life. And so here in chapter 6 of Proverbs, I want you to notice in verse number 6, Solomon says, go to the ant. That really seems like a strange place to go. Go to the ant. Well, what in the world could you learn from a stupid little ant? You know, just a little ant that you could squash with your foot and uh, doesn't have any intelligence as far as we know and so forth. But he says, go to the ant, thou sluggard, and consider her ways, notice, and be wise, which having no guide, overseer, or ruler, provideth her meat in the summer and gathereth her food in the harvest. And then in chapter 30 of Proverbs, verse 25, he says, The ants are a people not strong, yet they prepare their meat in the summer. You know, not being able to see the future, we never really know what to expect. However, based on what the Bible says, based on experience, and based on observation, we know that trouble is to be expected, right? So we can't see into the future. I don't know what's going to happen this afternoon or tomorrow. But based on what the Bible says, what I've experienced and what I observe, based on that, I know that I can expect that there's going to be troubles and trials in the future. And the same thing is true of each and every one of us. And that's why we need to learn to expect the unexpected and be prepared the best that we can. And by the way, Jesus taught that principle in Luke chapter number 14 about being prepared. And so the nature of the different things that we need to prepare for varies greatly because you know, in addition to the needs and the dangers all around us, well, if, if we're wise, we need to prepare for death. We need to prepare for the coming of Christ and so on and so forth. So this morning, I want to speak to you about being prepared. And I want to talk to you about the most important thing first. Because for some reason or another, this gets put down near the bottom of the list for most people. And that is the matter of salvation. Be prepared for our deliverance. Amos chapter 4 verse number 12. 
The Lord says, therefore, thus will I do unto thee, O Israel. And because I will do this unto thee, prepare to meet thy God, O Israel. Isn't it strange that we go to great lengths to prepare for all different kinds of needs in our life? I mean, we go to the extreme sometimes trying to, you know, we want to prepare for our future so we, you know, we get an education. We want to, uh, we want to be prepared in case of some kind of disaster. So we, you know, we try to save a little money. We want to be prepared for our retirement. We want to be prepared for maybe a rainy day and an emergency and all of that. And so uh, we take measures to prepare for all of those things. And yet the greatest danger that we face is the fact that we are sinners. Sinners condemned in the sight of God, and our greatest need is Christ. There are a lot of people, you know, as I said, talked about the preppers, and boy, you know, they'll go to great expense and spend uh, uh, a lot of time in getting prepared just in case there's an earthquake or a, uh, an act of terrorism or, you know, whatever it might be. Boy, they make all of these arrangements and they even make some dry runs where they practice all of this. It'll take, you know, so many minutes or so many hours for me to get point A to point B. And there I've got a shelter or something to keep me safe and food stored. And that'll help me till I get over here to, you know, to my cave up in the hill somewhere where they're going to, you know, hide and survive. And they've got it all planned out and then turn around and make absolutely no preparation whatsoever for their eternal salvation. I mean, you couldn't get any more foolish than that. And let me tell you, you know, I look around the building here this morning, and I realize that most of you are prepared because you have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But let me tell you, on the on the, 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 the big scale, in the big picture of things, the average person is not prepared spiritually. The average person has never received the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And by the way, He's the only way. He said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. You see, you can join the church, but that doesn't get you ready for heaven. You can be baptized, but that's not going to save your soul. You can be a good neighbor and a generous, you know, a generous contributor and on and on and, and, you know, be the best person imaginable. And all of that is in vain to be prepared. You've got to get to the place that you confess that you are a sinner that Christ alone is the way to salvation and place your trust in Him. That's your only hope. That's your only hope. And I'll tell you what, if all of a sudden, you know, the bells and whistles and the sirens all started going off and we could tell there was some sort of a disaster and our ushers all ran in here and said, y'all run to that door right back there. That's the only way out. That's the only place of safety. I assure you, I wouldn't run to that door over there, would you? Huh? Because I would, I would, I'd believe the testimony of those men. And yet we have a generation of people today that are running all over the place religiously trying to, you know, find some sort of feeling of satisfaction when it comes to spiritual things and they're totally, totally unprepared. Now, salvation is our greatest need, 
But it's not our only need. I don't know about you, but sometime today I'm probably going to need to eat a bite. Or if I don't eat today, I'll for sure need to eat something in the morning. I mean, God just made us that way. We have other needs to take into consideration. There's a need for safety, for example. Look in Proverbs chapter number 22 and verse number 3. He says, a prudent man, this is someone that is wise, a prudent man, notice, foreseeth the evil, notice, and hideth himself. But the simple pass on and are punished. The prudent man foreseeth the evil. That is, they're looking ahead. They're watching where they put their foot down. And whenever they see danger, they take steps to, to protect themselves. You know, the Bible has a lot more to say about this than what you might, what you might think. Being saved doesn't exempt us from problems, does it? I'd never had surgery in my life till after I got saved, and then I had gallbladder surgery. You know, I guess I could have said to the Lord, now look, you saved me. I'm not supposed to get sick anymore. You know, that's not really, you know, that's not really fair. And then I had back surgery. You know, I could have complained about it. But look, the Lord doesn't exempt you from problems and difficulties and dangers just because He forgave your sins and saved your soul. Uh, there's no way that any of us are exempt from these things. And this world is a dangerous place to live. And that's why, notice here, you want me to preach the Bible this morning? Well, this is part of the Bible. Is it not a prudent man foresees the evil? He takes note of it, and he takes appropriate action. Uh, this morning, whenever... Sergeant Peters was here, I realized that, that the very subject matter is a controversial issue because of all of the gun control debate and so on and so forth. And, you know, there's some that, you know, they, they go to the extreme, at least in my mind. They say, well, not anything to worry about. God will protect us. And it's a real bone of contention with a lot of people, and it's a serious matter. And uh, in, in, case, in case you don't realize that the Bible has a great deal to say about safety and our responsibility. Back in the Old Testament, for example, in Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 8, it required that a safety fence be built around the roof. Now remember, in those days, they had flat roof dwellings. And to provide safety, they had to build a safety fence around the top. Now, someone could have complained. They could have said, well, I think that's going to hurt the cosmetic beauty of my dwelling. I don't want to do that. Somebody could have said, well, that's going to lower my property value. Somebody could have said, well, the homeowners association is not going to like that. But God said the requirement is, and look, God held them responsible. When God gives a commandment, He always attaches a responsibility to that and consequences of ignoring it. So they were responsible to build a safety fence around the top lest someone, either a family member, a neighbor, or someone else that's up there because a lot of times that, you know, that was like their patio and they might have been out there eating or whatever and somebody fall off the roof. So he said, build a safety rail around it. Exodus chapter 21, we learned there that they were responsible for an animal that harms other people. 
So if you had a dog or whatever, in that case where he's speaking, it's talking about an ox. If an ox gored another man, a neighbor or something, and that's your ox and it was out there where it wasn't supposed to be, guess who's responsible? You are responsible for that. It's your animal and it's your responsibility. In Deuteronomy chapter number 21, if a person, now think about this, if a person was robbed or killed, the elders of the nearest city was held liable for that. They could have said, what, what have we got to do with it? They were five miles outside our city limits, you know. It's not our responsibility. We didn't invite them to go down that road. But God held them responsible because that was the nearest city. And it's their responsibility to do what they can to provide safety for the community. Someone said, society is bound together for mutual help and good government. We are responsible not only for what we can do, but for what we prevent. We must not only reform abuses and remove grievances, but prevent evils. Have you got any idea how much the Bible has to say about the matter of justice? I'm not talking about God's justice and and holding us accountable for our sins. I'm, I'm talking about us dealing justly with, with our fellow man. The Bible is, in the Old Testament especially is full of stuff like that. So many times, you know, we think, oh, somebody else is going to take care of us. Boy, I mean, you could go down a rabbit trail there. I mean, we have people who believe that socialism is the answer and they're too stupid to look at Venezuela or some other part of the world where there's poor people are starving to death because they bought into that lie that socialism is the way to go. Our most socialistic states is, look out in California. It's amazing to see. You would think that there, especially in San Francisco and some of the other places, you'd think you're in some third world country. I mean, they're living in tent cities out there in filth, deprived. Let me tell you, whenever we get to the point that we depend upon government to meet our needs, we're in trouble. And when it comes to this matter of us providing safety for ourselves and our loved ones, preventing harm, that is, we have a big responsibility. It might come as a surprise to you as it was to me until a short while ago. Do you realize that a police officer is not responsible for your safety? In 2005, the Supreme Court ruled that police officers are not responsible, liable, or duty-bound in any way for the safety of individual citizens. My first thought was, well, what about that, you know, what about that thing, that oath they take about to serve and to protect? And I Googled it and looked it up, and it's a motto. You know, they they might take it as a pledge and they might take that serious and most officers do. Thank God for that. But the fact of the matter is, it's not a legal obligation upon them. Their responsibility is to the community as a whole. Now, don't ask me to explain that, but that's 
It's what I'm telling you. Because it seems to me like, you know, if they're responsible for the safety of the whole community, they'd be responsible for my safety. And I got somebody trying to kill me. And they'd want to come over and protect me. And yet they're not duty-bound by the Constitution to do that. Matt Wasserman, uh, who I think is an attorney, he said they don't have a duty or an obligation to protect any given citizen. They protect the community. They do not protect you. Now, I said all of that to say this. We hear a lot about homeland security. And, you know, I think we're all for that, aren't we? We don't want another 9-11. We want safety measures enacted, right? I mean, you want to feel like that you can go get on an airplane and go from point A to point B and be safe. That, that's fine with just about all of us, right? But let me tell you, we, we need to take into consideration home security, period. You say, oh boy, here we go. I knew this was coming. I know, I know what, I know what he's going to say. Because we've got these people over here on one hand say, we don't need no guns. we got God to protect us. Let me tell you right now, I'm not here to convince you to buy a gun. If you don't know how to use it, don't. I'm not trying to convince you to buy a gun. I'm trying to tell you that you are responsible to provide protection for your family, for your loved ones and others. I love the way that Jeff... Quinn responded to that idea that, you know, we don't need guns. We got God to protect us. He wrote, he said, God will protect us from the evils of this world if he so chooses. I would rather have God on my side than a battery of sidewinder missiles. Indeed, our God can protect us. However, that attitude would lead one to believe that he could walk through Harlem wearing the Ku Klux Klan outfit campaigning for George Wallace, and that God will protect us. God could get you through that, but Jesus said that we should not tempt God. I think Jesus got it right. Don't tempt God. Do you ever check the brakes on your car? I mean, even before you get to an intersection, do you kind of pump them, hit them, you know, to make sure that they're going to work? I, you know, whenever we learn that there's some new disease, all of a sudden they come out with a cure for it. I remember back when I was a kid and one of my good friends got polio, and then whenever they come out with a salt vaccine, boy, you know, everybody, everybody wanted to get a vaccination. Just made good sense. You know, why, why, why would we do that? Well, we do that, what? To protect ourselves. I think most of you don't want to protect yourself from a rattlesnake, right? You had a rattlesnake, you know, out there in the yard somewhere, you'd want to get a garden hoe and chop its head off. You wouldn't want to leave it there. So all the kids will enjoy seeing that. They might want to play with it. No, you'd want to get rid of it, right? If there's a rabid... Uh, dog, for example, and you see it foaming in its mouth, and you you know, boy, if this thing bites me, I'm in trouble. You'd want to do something about it. I remember whenever I was a boy, and every time we thought there was a tornado, you know, all of a sudden, you know, we made plans, and and I spent about half of my time out of my buddy's house, and they had a they had a root cellar out in the backyard for you kids. That's a hole in the ground with a bunch of dirt piled on top and the door. 
And I, boy, I can't tell you the number of times that my buddy's dad got us up in the middle of the night and said, boy, there's a storm a-brewing, you know. What's that red sky at night? Uh, sailors delight like red sky in the morning. Sailor take warning, whatever. But I, I don't know how he uh, measured whether a storm was coming or not. My dad had a... What's the deal with the egg and the milk bottle and, you know, the barometer and... I mean, literally he did. He put an egg in a milk bottle uh, out there some way and the barometer was falling or rising. He was predicting the weather and that's what he said. (laughs) I saw the egg in the milk bottle. We get up in the middle of the night because we thought there was a storm coming and boy, that's Tornado Alley up through there. Do you know how terrifying it is to a kid to go out there and get down in a root cellar and it's pitch dark? We had nothing but a, but, but, a, but a candle and all those cobwebs and everything else and you're down there in a root cellar at night. It's not fun. But if you know there's a tornado coming, you're going to take measures to protect yourself. That just makes good sense. Well, you know, if that's true, why wouldn't we protect ourselves from an evil person that is intent on harming us? You know, there's a time to turn the other cheek and then there is a time to stand and fight. Because, you know, because of the fact that you can't save yourself or your loved ones any other way. You realize there was a time that Jesus spake to His followers, the ones that didn't have a sword, and here's what He said, sell His garment and buy one. He said, the time's coming that you need to sell your garment and buy a sword. Now, you know, of course, Peter got in trouble with the sword. It's not always the appropriate time to use a sword, but I'm telling you, we got something better than swords today. You know, it's a means of protecting ourselves and our loved ones. You know, I'm a firm believer that we not only have the right to keep and bear arms under our Constitution, that is our right, but we've got a responsibility. Now listen, I'm not saying that you have a responsibility to leave this service and go out here and buy a gun. That's not what I'm saying. You've got a responsibility to protect your family, your loved ones. After all, the Bible says, if a man provide not for his own, he's worse than an infidel. He's denied the faith. That's what the Bible says. You say, oh yeah, well that was talking about making sure they got food and clothes. Well, what good's food and clothes if they get raped and murdered? We have an awesome responsibility to prepare for those kind of problems. Not only that, but we have a responsibility to be prepared for struggles in life. Remember Jesus said to His disciples, watch and pray. This has to do with our difficulties. Being prepared to face our difficulties. And some new Christians, you know, they might be shocked to learn that, well, we're not exempt from these difficulties because the things that are common to you know, to everybody are all just, you know, a necessary part of our life. And the problem is, so many times, we wait until the crisis comes, and there we are in the emergency room of the hospital, waiting for the doctor to come out and tell us whether our loved one is going to live or die. We're wringing our hands, and we're hoping, and maybe some Christian friend or a preacher comes in, And all of a sudden we have prayer and somebody might quote a verse of Scripture 
and you haven't read your Bible in the last year, you haven't prayed 30 seconds, let me tell you, it's too late to deal with the crisis after the crisis is upon you to deal with it successfully. We've got to, we've got to plan ahead of time and know that there are difficulties. That's what Paul was talking about in Ephesians chapter number six. Remember, he said, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We're in a spiritual warfare. And he goes on to describe how we are to prepare ourselves. We prepare by putting on the whole armor of God. And the sad thing is, there are some Christians, you know, if you said to them, have you put on the armor of God? They wouldn't even know what you're talking about. They have no idea what the armor of God is. We need to prepare for those struggles in our life, those personal difficulties that we're going to go through. Beyond that, we need to prepare for service. I'm talking about our duty, our responsibility. You know, we're not saved by works, but God expects works after we've been saved. In other words, He expects service from every single Christian. Remember, He said, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But verse 10 then says, We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Not because of good works, but unto good works. That's God's plan for every one of us. So how do we prepare? We prepare by following the spiritual disciplines. That has to do with the Word of God and prayer and things of that nature in Christian fellowship. Remember whenever Paul was talking to Timothy about the Word of God and how that the importance of the Word of God and that it was good for reproof and for doctrine and so on and so forth, he, he, he mentions the fact that we would be prepared. Prepared. It prepares us. And if we're not, you know, if we're not saturating our soul in the Word of God, we're not prepared to do service for God. Because this is where we not only get our marching orders, this is where we derive our strength also. You see, the Bible is not only like a road map or it's not only uh, like a manual telling us how to live. It's food. It's a healing medicine. It ministers to us. And that's why every Christian needs to be a member of a Bible-believing church. Everyone. Somebody says, well, you know, know, I'm a Christian. I know I'm going to go to heaven whenever I die. And I, I don't need the church. Well, you just think you don't need the church. I mean, Christ established the church. It is identified as His bride. That's how much the church means to Him. So how dare can we, you know, treat the church as though it is absolutely worthless when Christ says, that's my bride. And we, look, you, the church not only needs what you're able to do with God's help, you need the church and what it can provide. Back in Tennessee, we, I heard somebody one time refer to to a member that I'd never met, don't know where he was, but he said he's a trunk Baptist. I said, what in the world are you talking about, a trunk Baptist? 
said, yeah, that's what we call them here in Tennessee whenever they decide to leave the church and they move somewhere. And so they request a letter so they can put it in their trunk and then move off. And then, you know, if they decide some years down the road, they've got their letter with them. Well, that's why we don't grant letters to individuals. We grant letters to churches. Because yeah, some people treat the church like it's of absolutely no importance whatsoever. And if you're going to be used of God, you need to be a part of that institution that Jesus Christ established for that purpose. Be prepared. Get yourself in the Word of God and live in God's Word. Then we need to be prepared for the matter of sin. Everything I just mentioned, each one of these points, every one of them really ought to be a sermon in itself. But I'm just putting the emphasis on being prepared in, in regards to all of these things. And when it comes to sin, this is being prepared in regards to defilement. Because regardless of, you know, how good a Christian you are, you are under the threat of sin. You never get so sanctified, so holy, so righteous in this life that you don't have to worry about falling into sin of some sort. You know, there are those that they've escaped the fire, they've escaped the flood, they've endured terrible trials, they've even engaged in Christian service, but only finally to become defeated by some sin. Did you realize that was Paul's greatest fear? Now think about it. Here is Paul, that great spiritual giant of a man. If anybody had his act together, it was Paul. A man that had been used mightily of God. And Paul told us the one thing that he feared most was becoming a castaway. And he wasn't talking about his salvation. He never doubted his salvation because he's the one that said, I know in whom I have believed and I'm persuaded he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. He knew he was saved. He said, but I'm fearful that I will fall and become a castaway. He's talking about sinning to the extent that God puts him on the shelf, as it were, that he becomes unusable in the work of God. You see, Paul had witnessed that happening in the lives of others. Demas had forsaken him. And he had watched these others as they fell. And boy, as I look back over these 50 years and I think about that large number of people who at one time they were in church, they were singing in the choir, teaching Sunday school, an officer in the church, and doing all of these things. And then all of a sudden... They were conquered by some sin. I'm telling you, you need to prepare yourself to do battle against those temptations. I mean, Jesus made that perfectly clear. In fact, there in what we normally call the Lord's Prayer, which is actually the pattern prayer, we're to pray, you know, lead us not into temptation. Well, we're all going to be tempted, and certainly God doesn't tempt us to sin. What's He talking about? He's making us realize that every one of us is susceptible to some kind of sin. You see, alcohol might not be a temptation to some of you. It might be that you've never been tempted to take a drink in your life. You've never taken a drink. That's no temptation. But boy, whenever it comes to, you know, whatever it might be, there's some other area of your life. I think we might, you know, refer to it as Paul did about that besetting sin. There's one that will get the advantage of you. And we need to pray to God 
that will be delivered from that besetting sin, the one that will destroy us. And none of us, listen, none of us are exempt from being tempted. And sin is a deadly foe. It's a destructive force. And we'd be fools not to prepare for our worst enemy, right? You know, it's talking about being safe at home, protecting yourself, protecting your loved ones. I bet just about everybody here locks the door at night, right? You lock your windows too, don't you? We didn't do any of that whenever I was a boy. The windows was all always up during the summertime. We didn't have to lock the windows. Or the, didn't have to lock the doors. Didn't have to worry about that. We lock our windows. We lock our doors. We lock up the, the car. We lock up all of our valuables. Uh, for some, you know, it's load the gun. For some, you got a big old dog, you know, and uh, you got an alarm system and everything else, and you're prepared. Just, you know, in case somebody might break in in the middle of the night and hurt you or rob you. But I'm telling you, there is a worse enemy out there than any threat that you'll ever face breaking into your house. And that's the enemy of sin. I mean, it literally will destroy you and your children and your family. It'll bring you more misery than anything else that you can possibly imagine. You see, there's things worse than death. Paul didn't say, oh, I'm afraid, you know, that I might die. He didn't fear death. He said, for to die is gain. He wasn't afraid of death. He was afraid of sin, that it would cause him to get put on the shelf, that he would become useless to God. And then there's something else we need to prepare for, and that's for the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is our, our departure, if you please. The Lord talked about that in Matthew chapter number 25. And here is one of the parables as he was talking about, you know, the, the ten virgins. There were five that were wise and five that were foolish. And all of this had to do with, with a readiness for the coming of the Lord. Verse 2, five were wise, five were foolish. And they that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. I wish I had time to really get into this. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Do you realize Someday Jesus is going to come for His bride, His bride, which is the church. He's going to come for His church in that day. Notice, and He says, Go ye out, here in the parable, go ye out to meet Him. And then all of those virgins arose and trimmed their, trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said unto the wise, Give us your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you, but go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, remember, no oil for their lamp now. And whenever the bridegroom comes, where are they? They're going down to Kroger or Walmart to get some oil for their lamp. They're gone. Notice, they went to buy. The bridegroom came and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterward came also the other virgin, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. And he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, 
For ye know not neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. I don't know why it's so difficult to convince some people that Jesus really is coming again. You know, I think back to what Isaiah said 700 years before His birth. He said, Behold, a virgin shall conceive. Now think about it. That information, that prophecy was passed on from one generation to another generation for more than 700 years. And you can well imagine the conversation, well, Daddy, that's what Grandpa used to say, you know, and nothing has ever changed. You know, and with every generation, people become maybe more reluctant to buy into the idea that the Messiah really is coming. But then we turn to the New Testament and we read in the book of Galatians that in the time appointed, amen, that time that had been appointed by God, in the fullness of time, He came. Contrary to what the scoffers had to say about it, He came. And let me tell you, He promised, I'll come again. He said, you won't know the day, you won't know the hour, you have no idea when it's going to be. It'll be in a moment when you least expect it. And if there was ever a time where where people are not expecting Jesus to come, I think it's right now. I mean, if people really be honest, a lot of them have to say, there's no way that I believe that He could come today. I just don't, don't really worry about that. I don't think He could really come today. In an hour when you least expect it, He's going to come in the clouds in the sky. And those that are dead, the Christians, shall arise first. And we which are alive and remain shall be called up together to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. And there will be two in the field and one taken and the other one left. There will be two in the bed and one taken and the other one left. And it doesn't take a genius to get the picture of that whenever we think about a family and a husband and wife in the bed and all of a sudden she's gone and he's there. Or vice versa. Whatever the case might be. All of a sudden the children are gone and there you are home alone. I'm... I'm telling you, it's a true, real, certain fact that Jesus is coming again. And it's amazing to me that somebody says, well, I'm preparing for my education. I'm going to get that scholarship. I'm going to work overtime. I'm going to make sure that I get a good education. Well, that's good. That's great. Somebody says, well, I'm preparing for my vocation. That's great. Get all of the training you can. Get ready for that. Somebody else says, well, I'm preparing for my retirement. I'm saving as much money as I can. I'm getting all my ducks in a row. I'm getting ready. That's fine. But none of it means anything if you're not prepared for Jesus to come. Notice what they said. Some of them, the five foolish came and they said, they said, Lord, let us in. And the door of opportunity was shut. And he said, I never knew you. What a horrible thing. What a horrible thing it is to suddenly realize that you've been wrong and it's too late to do anything about it. 
You say, well, that wouldn't happen to me, preacher, because I remember you preaching about it, and if the Lord comes and I'm not ready, then I'll remember what you said, and I'll get saved then. No, you won't. You say, how do you know? Because of what Paul said to the church at Thessalonica. Those that are left behind, he told them, he said that they will believe the lie of the Antichrist. You see, the Antichrist is going to come up with some kind of an explanation as to where all these people went. And they will believe it. Isn't that amazing that they would believe that and yet they did not believe the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are you ready? Are you prepared? I mean prepared in every sense of the word, but mainly, mainly prepared by way of salvation, knowing that if you died today or knowing that if Jesus came today, that you'd be ready to go. Are you ready? Are you prepared? If not, you can be prepared before you leave here today. Remember, Jesus said, I'm the way. And by the way, He's the only way. And you, you can this very day settle that issue and leave here prepared. And then you need to prepare in regards to those other things we've been talking about. Don't let sin get the advantage over you and ruin your life. And get in the Lord's church and serve Him the best you can till the day that you die. Let's all stand together. Father, how we thank You for the many warnings that we find in Your Word. And Lord, we'd much rather preach about heaven and all of the glories of heaven. We'd much rather even preach about the forgiveness of sin and what a wonderful thing it is to think about being forgiven and being a joint heir of Jesus Christ. But Lord, we know that You've warned us intentionally on purpose. And just as You told ancient Israel, prepare to meet Thy God. Lord, today, if there's someone here that's not prepared, help them this morning that they might make preparation by receiving Christ as their Lord and their Savior. For it's in His name we pray. Amen. As we stand and sing together, would you come this morning?